0: Hey, everyone. Welcome in to Patterns Tell Stories. I'm your host, Klaus, and today we're going to be talking about cattle mutilations, covert operations, and the idea of full-spectrum dominance. With me today, as always, is my co-host, Garrett. How's it going, man? Good, man. How are you doing this week? A little better. I was sick for a bit. Uh, this past weekend was kind of hellish, but I'm feeling feeling a bit better now, so... Uh, it's interesting to see what's going on in, in the Congress right now. Chuck Schumer just tweeted saying that he and Senator Rounds, who is his Republican counterpart on this, you know, UAP disclosure Act bill chris sharp and and the people who are who are tuned into this are are going back and forth between it's killed it's dead uh, oh there's hope and it's kind of a mess right now and uh that's the tough thing with doing news segments on podcasts is that shit can change in two seconds and uh we could just be wasting our fucking time but um we might as well just go over what what's happening right now because it seems pretty fluid the situation but um it's it's pretty important time for the subject it's Maybe the most important time, at least in modern history.
1: Yeah, it's getting intense so far. From what I've seen, the uh, Liberation Times that Chris Sharp guy has been killing it in reporting. Like in terms of trying to follow this, you very helpful, Chris Sharp. It, I think equally, if not more, because everything he's been saying has been on point, and it's so helpful because. If you notice, like he constantly will report news from the DOD that has like he asks them very clear questions and looks for very clear answers. And uh, especially when you're trying to follow like Elizondo and stuff like that. He got a claim from Susan Goh saying that, yes, Elizondo is an advisor for classified topics to our Space Force. I was like, okay, well, that gives me a lot of clarity on the situation and people questioning Lou Elizondo. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's okay. why I kind of dig Chris Sharp, is because, like, that one topic in what you would call ufology is very difficult for people to navigate because there's tons of people that, for whatever reason, don't like Tom DeLong and don't like To the Stars Academy. There's a lot of people who don't
0: like Chris Sharp and Ross Coulthard and shit, but they're like the most tuned in and what they say usually comes to fruition. So, um, yeah, I trust those guys. And, yeah, you know, it depends. And even even with what they're saying, you know, they're kind of going back and forth on on what they're hearing. So, yeah, it seems to be pretty up in the air right now as of, I guess, what is it? 8.41 p.m. on uh, Eastern <laughs> fucking what is today? Monday. Yeah, it's a long fucking weekend. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I, I'm really hoping this goes forward. Apparently, the UAP Disclosure Act was introduced, I guess, back in the summer. It passed the Senate in a in a pretty big, um, by a pretty big margin. And I think it was like 80 something to like 11 or some shit. I think that I think the math checks out. But uh, so it passed the Senate and then now it's in the House. I think we talked about it last time that Mike Turner is the main guy. He... Uh, He's a representative for the district where Wright Patterson Air Force Base is, and um, he's he's the main one pushing back on a lot of this stuff. And uh, now, I guess Mike Rogers, who uh, has a district down in uh, Huntsville, Alabama, around there. I guess that's where the Redstone Arsenal is. And um, yeah, let's get into Danny Shan a little bit because he he got into um, the kind of history of the cover up, and it's stuff that I've talked about and written about in the past that I find really relevant to this. and few people talk about besides him, Danny Sheehan is a uh, you know he's a lawyer, litigated uh, the Pentagon Papers, Silkwood, Three Mile Island, a whole bunch of um, public interest cases that that he's he's won and been involved with. So he also previously was the lawyer for the Disclosure Project, I think back in you know the early two thousands with Stephen Greer. When it when it comes to Greer, I guess people kind of feel like that might taint him a little bit, but for me, it it really doesn't. His history speaks for itself, I think. And he was Lou Elizondo's lawyer, and um, you know, I don't think he would have done that if he was trying to get something out of it for himself. He seems to be pretty selfless in this whole thing. I I trust Danny Sheehan. He he might <laughs> fly off the handle a little, a little much at times, but I think his sentiment is. Uh, generally correct, and um, he's he's coming from a place of truly wanting disclosure, just just based on his uh, previous cases he's worked on. That's my take of Danny Sheehan, but um, yeah, Sheehan was kind of going hard on Mike Rogers, and uh, Grush himself, in his Rogan interview, said he was a little surprised that Mike Rogers was now kind of holding this thing up as well. But uh, it seemed to turn into kind of like this partisan thing where they tried to substitute Tim Burchett's like one page paper (laughs) or like one page, I don't know, amendment that really just asked for the DOD to declassify known cases. And uh, it it seemed like they wanted to pretty much replace the UAP Disclosure Act with this, which is 64 pages um, with this one page thing that didn't really do anything. So that whole thing was kind of weird, caused a whole bunch of shit to go down and I don't know, man. it's it's just been kind of a mess. and um it's really hard not to like get into the deep politics of this stuff because it's it's turning into uh, not so bipartisan issue as as of late. The whole bipartisan thing is is a huge part of this. It's um, I think it's why it's gotten as far as it has is that both parties are interested in seeing this uh, get done. But now we have, you know, the Republican majority in the House. Well, Sheehan says they're being threatened, or you know, at least their funding for their their campaign donations are being threatened because, you know, Turner is, you know, Lockheed's a big donor for him because he's basically representing their their district, I think their headquarters, I could be wrong.
1: Right. He had that line. He said something about like if you're running and you're you're talking too much about a topic that they don't like, you'll see your campaign opponent get a million dollars dropped in their election campaign fund yeah or something along those lines and i was like wow he because he kept i'm sorry to cut you off but he, he, he was making interesting points that i really was unaware of like you said representatives potentially being threatened he told i don't even really feel it's like he said something about like uh i don't know if he said senators but he said people were getting guns put in their mouth
0: I, I forget who it was, but I guess previously, maybe it was in a case he was working, but um, I don't know, it might have been the church committee or something like that. I, it was in the past. And uh, I guess yeah, the wife of a senator got like pulled out of her house and had a gun shoved in her mouth and was basically like, you need to make your husband stop stop this uh, investigation. And, yeah, dude, it's wild. So that's kind of the thing that Sheehan's been going after. And I think it's a big part of this that people don't really talk about is the the level of retaliation against certain people. So when you think about these uh, House representatives, you know, kind of stopping this bill, you really wonder what kind of pressure they're under. If there's, um, you know, Sheehan, Sheehan's talking about like legal assassinations, which we kind of touched on with that blue border thing in the past. Um, he's touched on, yeah, that that one case where, yeah, the senator's wife had a gun put in her mouth, like dragged out of her house at like three in the morning <laughs> or some yeah, crazy and, shit.
1: And he was saying something about drugs, I think, and drug trafficking. And I was like, What? Wasn't he involved in the Pentagon Papers? Yes. You remember that? That was him, right? Or he yeah, was he represented like the-, the New York
0: Times, yeah. Interesting. Damn. So he knows his shit. Yeah, that's heavy coming from him. He's not fucking around. And that's and that's the thing too, is um, yeah, he's on a tear and he knows the stakes. He's talking about the the fucking genesis of the CIA. That's where we need to start. And that, that's what he's talking about. Like, he, he's making a point to say that we need to know exactly who we're up against. And he's saying these are fascists who funded, you know, the Third, third Reich basically set up. Uh, I forget which bank it was. Um, do you remember that? I have it written down, bro. I yeah. absolutely have it. We talked about down. <laughs> this in a previous episode about like breakaway civilizations and shit and like the genesis and like the original founding of the CIA is a huge part in all this because they are like kind of the original, you know, breakaway civilization type thing that was started before even world war two.
1: Okay, here we go. I have this from Sheehan. This is from an old Sheehan interview, but this is like pertaining exactly to what we're talking about. Are you ready?
0: Yeah. He's finally going around and actually saying this like in current day fucking interviews, which, which I've been waiting for, honestly. Oh, so. this is
1: sick. This is exactly what we're talking about here. Here we go. It's a Sheehan. That's exactly what it is, and that's what had taken control of the United States government. Now, this went on all the way through World War I. When World War I broke out in Europe and the United States came in and became part of this thing up until 1917. Then in 1918, there was the Versailles Treaty that was signed. The Versailles Treaty was supervised by a fellow by the name of Robert Lansing. Robert Lansing was the Secretary of State under Wilson. Robert Lansing was the son-in-law of John W. Foster. John W. Foster was the grandfather of John Foster Dulles and Alan Dulles. This linkage is extremely powerful because Robert Lansing, who is the Secretary of State for the United States under Wilson at the end of World War I, brought in his two nephews, John Foster Dulles and Alan Dulles, to sit with him in the negotiations of the Versailles Treaty. And they drafted into the treaty the reparations requirements that they imposed on Germany. And what happened, very importantly, Those reparations were imposed on Germany and Alan Dulles, who was the drafter, along with his brother, John Foster Dulles, of these provisions was made the lawyer for Germany by the American Secretary of State at the end of the war. He was also the attorney for Brown Brothers Harriman. So what they did is they organized a series of loans from the individual wealthy families that were members of Brown Brothers Harriman to give loans to Germany, to pay the reparations, to pay to corporations that had been injured during World War One, and then they took stock in those companies in Germany. What they did, very importantly, the CEO of Brown Brothers Harriman, who was George Herbert Walker, stepped out in 1924 as the CEO and turned it over to his son-in-law, who was Prescott Bush. Prescott Bush became the CEO for Brown Brothers Harriman. George Herbert Walker formed the Union Bank of New York capitalized by the financiers and the Brown brothers Harriman and set up a subsidiary in Germany known as the bank of shipping and commerce with this guy Thyssen that ran it. And they started giving loans to Germany and to the Nazi movement. They financed the construction of the international headquarters of the Nazi party, that bank system did. And they wanted to set them up as the bulwark against Bolshevism. What had happened is right at the end of the war, and then the interviewer cuts off and says, they prefer fascism. And Sheehan says, that's right. And I'll yep. stop there. But this, there's many, this is one of many interviews he's given that he explains things that like,
0: if it is baloney, that would be really wild. He told this whole story on Matt Ford's, Matt Ford's show this week. He told the whole fucking story. I don't know if you watched it, but he, he went into every single detail of it. It made me so happy to like, post that that he was talking about it because this is this is the breakaway civilization this is the quote-unquote like deep state i hate that fucking phrase because it was ruined by you know who but like i it really is a unaccountable covert organization like loosely based international group of people that have this secret it's it's the mechanism that tom DeLong talks about that's higher than the cia it's not that it's even higher; it's that it's covert. Like that's that's the thing.
1: The thing Farrell pointed out to me was mainly about Alan Dulles and how Alan Dulles was an OSS station chief from Switzerland, I believe, and he was like an attorney and a liaison between Germany and the United States. And how Alan Dulles, the OSS, the, I think that's the Office of Strategic Services, that later on in 1947 became the CIA. And then the, another part of that was the integration of part of Germany's intelligence apparatus that was called the Galen Organization, or the Galen Org, and that was Reinhard Galen. And there was like, I guess a whole intelligence infrastructure all throughout Germany that they didn't want to just tear apart. They were like, all right, we're going to just have these guys work for us now. And a lot of it just became like getting these guys like kind of off the hook. I don't want to, I don't want to speak on this like recklessly, but I, I I think that uh, one of the arguments that the United States was making was that, well, they're just going to go to Russia. And that was kind of like a whole, like, thing that spurred on that project paperclip was uh they were really worried that these guys were really intelligent and that they were going to just end up in russia who was like happy to take them i don't know what russia's argument was for taking those guys or how clear they are with you know what i mean like i really i think i know like a dangerously small amount about russia and that's kind of weird
0: yeah, so there was another thing that Sheehan talked about that I wanted to review. And he, he made an emphasis on, on this term, full spectrum dominance. And that's another thing that Joseph Farrell talks about a lot. And it, it's taken from this um, paper that was written called Air Force uh, 2025, or an operational analysis for Air Force 2025. Okay, so they basically go through, it was written in 1996, and it's one of those papers where they game out uh, where they want the Air Force to be in the next, I guess, from here, it was 20 years. So like 20 years from now, we want these kinds of technologies, we want, this is our goal. And, and the main goal is, yeah, that that term full spectrum dominance, which which essentially means control over the, over the entire planet. And this is what Sheehan is saying, that they're willing to give up you know freedoms or any other kind of um, you know American value to fulfill this this goal of full spectrum dominance. So I'm going to read from Farrell's book, uh, Covert Wars and Breakaway Civilizations, real quick, and uh, he he brings this in with the context of the UFO phenomenon and you know potentially reverse engineered craft. Well, he's, ta- he's talking about the Kardashev system of uh, civilization classification essentially he's saying that ufos if, if we were to reverse engineer them you know we we would become a class one civilization
1: and i heard something like that where it's like if you can use your planets volcanoes yeah, and exactly use all of its ne- like and then the next one was like the the star like yep. the energy of the and make like a dyson sphere and stuff okay
0: yeah so all right i'll just read from that part um In the preface, I noted that the Kardashev system of civilization classification, according to energy requirements, also implied the technological corollary of being able to manipulate the very systems it's required for energy. Thus, a class one civilization implied the technology to manipulate a planet, or at least systems on a planetary scale. A class two civilization implied the ability to manipulate a star and its systems. Well, finally, a class three civilization implied the ability to manipulate a galaxy and its systems. As noted in the preface, the UFO phenomenon implies at least a class one capability. So does that answer your question? That's a, yeah.
1: Yeah, um, that was way smarter
0: than me. <laughs> <laughs> the, um Okay. The theoretical achievement of such technological capabilities, even at a class one level, would result in a new military doctrine, that of full spectrum dominance. And in turn, both doctrine and technologies would engender a new geopolitical imperative. With the collapse of the Soviet Union, a collapse aided and embedded if not engineered by the covert system of finance and the factions that controlled it, the Anglo-American core of this breakaway civilization moved quickly to a posture of attempting to dominate the entire planet. This attempt was manifest in the U.S. Pentagon's doctrine of full spectrum dominance. And as its name implied, its agenda was to control everything, everywhere, including the high seas, land, air, space, and even outer space and cyberspace. It is important to note that the implied basis of the sought after domination was technological. Quote The strategies of full spectrum dominance. Envisioned control of pretty much the entire universe, including outer and inner space, from the galaxy to the mind. Full-spectrum dominance, in other words, means nothing less than the domination of every potential theater of war via the achievement and maintenance of technological superiority in those theaters, whether that theater is the human mind, planet Earth, nearby local terrestrial space, or outer space. The corollary of this doctrine is the doctrine so-called escalation dominance, the, quote, ability to win a war at any level of violence, including nuclear war. While this certainly follows from the idea that one can only dominate any potential theater of operations via technological means, it also means that technological end runs around nuclear weapons, strategic weapons of much more destructive potential with much less blowback costs to their user, would be sought as the ultimate means of escalation dominance, weapons moreover that could be deployed with plausible deniability, masking themselves as acts of God or nature. So this is where it gets into uh, like weather warfare. So <laughs> kind got of to chill out there, but that's, that's pretty much what they mean by uh, full spectrum dominance. And I think they actually do talk about, let me, let me look at this fucking thing real quick.
1: So is he saying that like, just cause that was a lot. So was yeah, he just saying that like, he made a lot of points but this was a couple of the things i was jotting down was like sure. he was saying that this technology demonstrates that you're pretty much able to destroy your planet and that you've for whatever reason overcome that impulse and but it shows that like it is it's that powerful that was one thing that it, it yeah. was telling me the other thing it was telling me was like uh Like when a nuclear bomb drops, right, there's fallout and radiation and all these like long term problems that you face like ecologically. And you can clearly tell when a nuclear bomb was used. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's no secret nuclear bombs. I feel like like our satellites and everything can clearly tell like it is that devastating. And it's just like a boiling pussy mess on our planet when a nuclear bomb goes off it's just so not good for everything you know like there's no way that radiating all that i don't know i don't have to think i have to go on a a long rant about how nuclear bombs damage their earth like i think everybody (laughs) knows that um the other thing though was that like guys like how put off and Eric Davis, the guys that like are talked about as being like the physicists that know a lot about this, they they're also all involved in consciousness things. Right. And that was a I feel like he was kind of touching on that as well.
0: You know, they were talking about dominating the mind. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. And David Grush in his interview with uh, with Joe Rogan was talking. About, I'm not sure if we mentioned it, but he was saying about the remote viewing programs, how those actually might have been outreach to the to the UFO reverse engineering programs. And to, and that I took to mean personally that, you know, potentially that's what was the means to pilot some of these craft.
1: Well, that's a big part of Secret Machines, right? Yeah, well, exactly. the guy Allen, right? I think his name is Allen. And uh, at least in the fiction, there's a pilot that like this move, those books are so sick. I was listening to the audio books the other day, and uh, yeah, just on secret machines alone, I feel like we could do five episodes because, yeah. 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 But uh, we should—that's a big part of those books. They they indicate that like really advanced aerospace companies are real interested in our brains helping craft move in very quick. You know what I'm saying? Like we are talking about how how much quicker it is to just go straight from the brain. And uh, instead of having them like move a little like joystick or something, I'm not going to act like I'm a pilot. But I know that that's one thing that like they seem very interested in is like using whatever signals our brains give off to make these really advanced aircraft move in just a hair faster than everything else around it. You know, it's like the best reaction time you're capable of having.
0: Yeah. And that, that makes me wonder about, again, Valet's quote saying some canceled projects never really die uh, in, in the context of MKUltra. It brings it back again to like the super soldier type idea, the, the Scott Andrews book that apparently is coming out are there certain people who have the ability or have the right brain structure to to fly these things that others might not have? And are these people sought out in ways that, you know, because you, you think about the idea of full spectrum dominance and what they might go through in order to keep the stuff secret as we're seeing play out in Congress right now, where Sheehan is saying all these people are being, you know, they're being fucking threatened, like, not, not even just, yeah, campaign donations. It's like this culture of this "Quote unquote breakaway civilization, or or covert aspects of our intelligence uh, apparatus that that may or may not have oversight. Likely not. If they're willing to threaten people over keeping the secret, what are they willing to do to find individuals who may be able to unlock this technology?
1: <laughs> I don't want to keep bringing him up every episode, but the <laughs> fucking, I I was listening to." Uh, one of our favorite people, Jack Sarfati, and he was giving an interview and he was talking about his... Dude, I forget what anybody says about that guy. He's had the craziest life I've ever heard, ever. Part of his story is that he got a phone call in 1953 and he said that in 1953 is like a very interesting year. It was the year, if I'm correct, that MKUltra started because that speech I sent you where Alan Dulles spoke at Princeton That was in 1953. He was naming his professors that he had at Cornell. That was like later on in his life. But he was saying that he was doing that after school program thing. And he was saying that, uh, like, it's no surprise that he was being taught by the guys that were like involved in the Manhattan Project he had were guys like Robert Wilson, Hans Beta and Philip Morrison. Those were three of the guys he named. And when I looked up those guys, he was saying that they were all Cornell guys, but they all happened to be involved in like nuclear physics. And that was like, that's an interesting part of like this whole space kids thing. Whatever you think about the guy, he sticks to his story that he got this weird phone call in 1953. He said it was like this like Kundalini like experience. And the information was like, It felt like he was just like, I guess people would call it a download of sorts. Whatever this thing was told him that like in 20 years he would meet the others. And in 20 years later, that's when he was at SRI with Hal Putoff and Russell Targ. And like there's audio of those guys interacting. And I don't think they even make any bones about that. They were all commingling with each other at a like really young age. He was involved in this like after school program for like really gifted people or kids and even today like i still don't understand that much about like what they were teaching in that type of program or what but from what he says he was like working on <laughs> the most advanced Thing you could imagine a 12, 13 year old kid be working on. I don't know. I don't really remember what age he was in that program, but I know that he got a full scholarship to Cornell and a big part of his story is that he was taught by some of the best minds our country had and guys that were involved in working on the atom bomb. Does that make sense? The way I explained that, but like, yeah, I got it. I still don't know who other people in that world. We know the Scott Andrews guy. I don't know if I just completely derailed us, but like, I don't know how much of a part of this closure that type of stuff is going to be. Andrea Pujaric. That's another guy we talk about constantly on the show is like, he supposedly had his own little school of kids that he would do like parapsychological tests on whatever that means, like remote viewing and like, I don't think that all of those things are exactly the same, whatever they were.
0: Yeah, it's uh, Stranger Things. Stranger uh, Things, dude. (laughs) That's what it sounds like. Yeah. And I also want to give a shout out to um, B.A. Crisp. She's a writer. Her books are fiction in the vein of Secret Machines. I'm not sure if you've read her stuff. She's really good. And she also, I guess her grandfather worked in the DOE and um, she learned a lot of stuff from him. She basically wrote a fictionalized version of of certain things that she had learned. Essentially the character in her book was, it was similar to, um, to kind of stranger things a bit, but uh, the character in her book was a troubled, um, like a troubled adolescent who went through the foster care system was highly intelligent. Yeah. Got in a lot of trouble. She was given a chance to go essentially work, not work, but to live on um, basically, basically like a a NASA uh, compound. Yeah, it was it was Stranger Things esque where they worked on remote viewing and all this kind of like woo shit. And uh it, it was basically like kind of a star kids program. You should check out the book. It's it's really it's really good and, and funny and really, really well written. But uh yeah, it was it was basically that kind of thing. And it, it makes you wonder like you know, if they if they did have these kinds of programs, like what would stop them from going and taking kids kind of out of the foster system who had like no family? It's fucked up to think about, but that's definitely one area where like kids could have uh, kids could have been recruited, quote unquote, and um, you know, no one would ever know. Yeah, super sad. Isn't that <laughs> isn't
1: that what they do in Stranger Things? Is like, it? I don't remember. With, with L, L is, Elle is who uh, yeah, Millie Bobby Brown is, and apparently is she foster kid. I think in that movie, her mom is like really not doing good. And a big part of how they portray it is like um, there's a lot of gaslighting involved with the mom. Stranger Things definitely goes more sinister with it. And if that's the thing with Sarfati is Sarfati doesn't give the indication that it was sinister. He makes it sound like it was like awesome. (laughs) I don't know about awesome, but like, it makes it sound like it wasn't like, uh, like it was an opportunity as opposed
0: to like, I know. And then, but that's when you get into like the MK Ultra shit, neuro-linguistic programming and, and the childhood trauma and, you know, kind of forming, it's really, really messy. That kind of shit was happening to like kids where they were having their fucking like memories wiped and like they were being reprogrammed i guess to kind of make them think they had a uh, enjoyable childhood while all this fucked up shit was going on and they were being you know experimented on uh, that would be a really nasty fucking thing to um to have to come clean on
1: a big thing i thought about mk ultra from what i've read about it is that they were like burning shit to try to not yeah. like like we don't even have a full, complete idea of the entirety of what types of experiments were being done. That's my understanding, yeah, yeah. if I
0: was gonna burn something, I would go directly to the fucking kids' files and start there <laughs> like
1: <laughs> yeah of of course, like that's that's crazy I, and but like how how confirmed is it? that they did. Serve. Like, I know the, uh, these are Nazi
0: scientists, bro. Like <laughs> I just like, uh, it's so dark. Ugh, that's the other thing is like thinking about these NDAs that, that they've signed. I think Grush even, even talked about it on Rogan where it's like, uh, you're fresh out of college or, you know, whatever you're recruited because you're super fucking smart. You're a genius. And they, they think you can benefit and, and help, help them progress in some sort of, uh, in some fashion, to reverse engineer this technology. And, you know, they're like, basically like, Hey, sign this NDA. You're going to work on like the craziest shit ever, but you can never tell anyone about it. Um, and we can't tell you what it is until you've signed it. And then, and then say someone signs that and then they go into this program and they start, it's crazy, obviously fucking non-human technology that they're working on. And, but it's so lonely and they can't fucking ask like colleagues questions about anything. They're kind of stuck with like blinders on basically. And they, they have to like figure this out on their own. And, um, I forget who said it. I think it was Chris Wolford said in a space that like people working at S4 basically felt like they were uh, working in a prison because they couldn't fucking talk to anyone.
1: And S4 is the what Bob Area Lazar 51, talked yeah. about. Okay, yep. got you, got you. Damn. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so imagine wild. that. and you, And then it's not really a surprise that there's whistleblowers who want out of this shit. Well, imagine
1: carrying that around, bro. Right. Like your entire life, knowing that there's... There's all sorts of things that they can disclose. They could disclose that (laughs) UFOs are extraterrestrial, that there's some breakaway weird country thing with AI. Like, you know what I'm saying? There's all sorts of things that could be like really major and just completely blindside people as to like, whoa, that's really way more intense than i was expecting <laughs> i didn't think that it was going to be this crazy
0: oh, like the fucking prions
1: yeah that's another well i don't know dude the prion thing we could we could have a whole conversation about that because <laughs> Let's do it. that so so one of the things that is uh what would be the word confounding people is the the phenomenon of cattle mutilations that have been going on since at least, I think the 1890s is the earliest one. I remember like having documentation
0: of, but the past, uh, about twenty years, it's been one four foot tall lady. I, I don't know where she's from. Where's Linda yeah. from? <laughs> I think
1: she lives in Colorado. Is where she does her. Actually, no. I think it's out of Vegas or out of Nevada. I'm okay. almost positive it's out of Nevada, well, but it might out. be New Mexico too.
0: Right. Okay. Um, so
1: <laughs> anyway, the,
0: <laughs> that's a joke. Sorry, Linda. It's just so fucking funny.
1: I love her. And so for those who don't know. Linda Howe, is. she had a documentary, I think it came out in the 80s, and it was called A Strange Harvest. And it was one of the most thorough documentaries, if not the, like to this day, I would still consider it the best one in terms of covering exactly what people mean when they
0: say like, oh, have you heard about the cattle mutilations? Like even just back in uh, May of 2023, there was a a huge string of cattle mutilations back, uh, down in Texas. This year? Yeah, May 2023 in Texas. Um, this is The Guardian. Their tongues were cut off, but there was no spilled blood, no signs of struggle, no footprints or tire tracks were found. Investigators were stumped. Who is going on a murderous rampage of cows in Texas? And how are there no clues surrounding their deaths? It seems to be seen straight out of The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch. So this is like literally months ago. There, 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 was a fucking string of cattle mutilations. So this is this is happening up to this day. This is a serious thing that needed serious investigation, and no one, no one fucking dug into it deeper than Linda Moulton Howe.
1: It's brutal. It has to have like a, I think it's like this may be difficult to watch, like because it kind of is. It's really brutal. I was looking at what parts specifically in a lot of cases were like messed with. And in most cases, sensory organs, the left ear, the rectum and sex organs are removed. And there's generally not a drop of blood and no tracks. And they happen like fast. Like there's stories where the farmer will say, like, my dog was going crazy. And then I turned around and I looked and like. I saw old Bessie was splayed out and she was like, (laughs) what, what are you talking? He said like, they'll describe that it took place in a matter of like 20, 30 minutes and of them hearing commotion. And then they go to investigate and it's just this like poor animal splayed out and they don't even know what, how to make sense of all that. And those parts that we just mentioned are removed. So Linda Howe, little Linda Howe was going around in her boots and she was like showing all of these different bodies and being like, hey, um, interviewing sheriffs, interviewing veterinarians and the veterinarians are like, yeah, we couldn't replicate this. Uh, The sheriffs are like, I think that it's an ET from another dimension or (laughs) from outer space. I think it's an extraterrestrial from outer space doing this. And I'm like... Okay, I don't know what to think of all these people or why they believe this, but these cows, if like, from what I understand, if you go, I'm real, I'm gonna finish this sentence. (laughs) You got it. (laughs) I think that the evidence is strong enough based on what I've seen to say that, like, I'm like 99.9% sure that cattle mutilations happen. Who's doing them? I don't know. That's kind of like what we were debating about. Then you had guys like Colm Kelleher, who's a biologist and researcher, and he's indicated that there could be more to cattle mutilations because he was one of the investigators Bigelow had. He, I think, has written that uh, weird things have been found around cattle mutilation sites where people are like, wait, what? Why is this? Why would an alien leave a syringe? You know, or like something bizarre, like a uh, gas mask or something like that. I don't know if he specifically mentioned that item. So I would have to, tell, but I'm pretty positive he has. And, uh,
0: but What's anyway, this fucking tampon. Dude? <laughs> Just,
1: <kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, I don't know what sort of things you can find because the whole situation is so bizarre. So a lot of the, uh, debunkers to cattle mutilations, if I'm playing devil's advocate, they'll say, that like it was natural predation. These animals just died by natural causes. Like maybe they had a heart attack and their butthole magically got cored out and disappeared and their eyeball was like the I don't know. I don't know how to debunk the mutilations because it's like I don't know. There, there's either, I feel like it's either two <laughs> butthole things. butthole
0: got magically removed.
1: Based on what I've seen so far. butthole
0: removal spells in Harry Potter.
1: <laughs> Based on what I've seen so far, it seems like the cattle mutilations are either some weird group, like of humans, or it's something else that we don't quite understand yet. That isn't human,
0: or it's both.
1: Yeah, that's or it's what, both.
0: That's what Keller talks about. Is the uh, what does he call it? Bidirectional mimicry, I believe. What is that? Uh, he talked about it on Weaponized. <laughs> it's kind of fucked up. It's where the government uses the phenomenon to cover up their shit, and then the government or the fuck I'm, I'm butchering this. Like, yeah, the government uses the phenomenon to to cover up like maybe experiments or technology that's that gets seen. And that again goes back to what Valet says about them using like MKUltra type stuff or just playing off uh you know expectations of what we think we'll see in the sky, essentially. Yeah, it's it's basically using the phenomenon for their own psyop purposes. It could be something like that going on. And then the yeah, the phenomenon might use the government programs as a cover. So it's, it's, it's bi-directional and that they kind of mimic each other and use, use each other to cover up shit. It's pretty fucked up. Got you. That makes sense. And it could also be the case with abductions. Yeah. I suppose it could. Couldn't it?
1: Yeah. I did want to just to stay on, we could talk about abductions later, but I wanted <laughs> to stay on because you, you brought up prions. Yeah. Let's talk about, relation- about
0: TSC. Yeah. Go ahead.
1: So, so w- one of the weird things, or how should I put it?
0: Yeah, it's weird. I'd say weird.
1: No, not it's not that I'm looking for an adjective. I'm I'm trying to think of like uh think of it this way. Let's say that for some reason the government wanted to scoop up a farmer's cow and do some sort of analysis on it. Like one of the arguments people make is that they were real worried about stuff like mad cow disease, which comes from it has to do with prions, it has to do with like the brains and the cells within those brains, like being super unhealthy. And I think mad cow disease was like really concerning to people. So I can get how someone would think that the government would be interested in stopping mad cow disease, but it would be an extreme waste of money for them to take some, I don't even know how ungodly expensive it would be to make that type of secret stealth craft you know what i mean like at least hundreds of millions if not billions of dollars and then they would have to risk being seen you know like it's just whereas they could totally just go up to that farmer and say hey we need to test your cow's blood and stuff here's 20 grand and I feel like any farmer would. I don't know if that's. I feel like there's farmers listening. That's like it's at least forty five. <laughs> like I'm just throwing out a number, but I feel like it. That whatever. Where you get costs, your
0: cows? Whatever that's right we're fucking making fun of Southerners. <laughs> it's so mean. Right.
1: I, I live with them. Oh, that's
0: true. You're Florida. So, You're Florida man yourself. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's. The, I guess the, the problem was uh, back back in like the '80s, '70s, '60s, and 70, or yeah, Colorado. In the late 60s, there was an epidemic of chronic wasting disease. And well, it's, it's essentially, it's called transmiss- transmissible spongiform encephalopathy. Oh, fuck. Encephalopathy? Encephalopathy. Yeah,
1: that's <laughs> what I have from playing football <laughs> is chronic traumatic encephalopathy, I think oh, it's no. called.
0: I probably just mispronounced it. Encephalopathy. All right, TSC. That's what it's uh um it's a general term for infection in humans and animals. It's basically known as chronic wasting disease or or scrapie and it's mad cow disease. Let's just fucking call it mad mad cow, cow disease.
1: I thought it came from like cows eating the brains of other cows yeah, or something it's... like that, like interspecies problems. Like that
0: <laughs> I don't know. It sounds so dumb. Sorry. I I couldn't hear problems. That's the last thing I heard.
1: I was saying that like I thought that it came from like (laughs) for like a human for a human to have a prion problem. I thought it would come from like eating another human. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's a cannibal problem.
1: But like is that that what mad cow disease is? That's my understanding of like what what exactly? Yeah, let's look it up before (laughs) we start putting it out to thousands of people.
0: Mad cow. Yeah. Well, it's disease. in humans? It's called uh, like CJD or something. Yeah, Creutzfeldt-Jacob disease is a rare, rapidly worsening brain disorder that causes unique changes in brain tissue and affects muscle coordination, thinking, and memory. And uh, it's a prion disease. So, okay,
1: and a prion is an abnormal pathogenic agent that is transmissible and able to induce abnormal folding of specific normal cellular proteins called prion proteins that are found most abundantly in the brain. The functions of these normal prion proteins are still not completely understood. My argument was that it would be extremely expensive for them to go to all these lanes to scoop up a cow when whatever it costs to purchase that animal would be far cheaper and I think people would be very willing. So I think that's a very strong argument against that it's the government me, for me personally, but the with people describing other scenarios, it doesn't always seem that cut and dry.
0: Here's the thing about that. So if you're like kind of freaking out that there's like mad cow disease, and you don't want to set off like this huge fucking panic in the country and like cause like economic harm everywhere, and like everyone's like, oh my fucking god, we're we're all we all have prion disease, you would want to have an actual specimen from the food supply chain like, and not like go, go buy a fucking cow or um, that's, that's not within that chain that people are actually eating from. You know what I mean? Like you want to have like an actual specimen from that chain, but in order to do that, you don't want to set off a fucking, you know, panic <laughs> if you do that, you know what I mean? So it's like, that's the, true. <laughs> the best way, the best way to do it, if you could do it and have the technology to would be to go like, take a covert, Um, program and and utilize it for that kind of thing you know maybe use the fucking cattle mutilation phenomenon as a cover and i think that's kind of what Comb keller is getting at with this bi-directional mimicry damn
1: but it's not just prions right haven't people made the argument that they're measuring like amounts of radiation i've heard i think that argument
0: yeah it could be i just know keller has has published a paper on on that and that was one of his conclusions was let me just read the abstract just so people know what I'm fucking talking I'm not just pulling this out of my ass um so the abstract for this paper it's titled unexplained cattle deaths and the emergence of TSE epidemic in North America. All right. We present evidence that a correlation exists between reports of animal mutilation and the emergence of a TSE epidemic in North America. The TSE, that's a prion disease that we were talking about. Uh, We show that sharp instruments are used in animal mutilations. Our data contradict the conclusions of the 1980 Rommel report that claimed predators and scavengers could explain reports of cattle mutilations. Using data obtained from a NIDS nationwide survey of bovine veterinarian practitioners, We show that certain organs are preferentially removed during animal mutilations. We focus attention on the temporal and geographical overlaps between the animal mutilation and TSC epidemics in Northeast Colorado. The most highly publicized TSC epidemic in North America, chronic wasting disease, emerged in Northeast Colorado in the late 1960s. We show evidence that patterns of animal mutilations conform to covert but classical wildlife sampling methodologies for infectious diseases. We show evidence in support of an epidemic of prion disease that is both subclinical in cattle and clinical in deer and elk in North America. We describe evidence from two laboratories that a number of prion diseases in humans are misdiagnosed as Alzheimer's disease and therefore currently escape detection. The historical record shows the high levels of infectious TSEs were imported from New Guinea into research facilities at Fort Detrick and Bethesda, Maryland after 1958, and were used for intensive cross-species infectivity experiments. We hypothesize that animal mutilations represent both a TSE disease sampling operation on domestic animals and a graphic warning that the beef and venison food chain is compromised. There you go. Damn. <laughs> so that. Yeah. So there's. Oh. <laughs> so here's 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 what it means. It means that throughout the 60s, the yeah, the food chain containing all this shit had Prion's disease, and uh, that is leading to a uh, to a lot of cases of Alzheimer's that are being mis- misdiagnosed at, as Alzheimer's when they're really like this Prion disease. Oh my God. Yeah, dude, it's fucking gnarly. I, that is gnarly. <laughs> this took a turn. Well, um, so, but then we have
1: the idea that it's something non-human, which I feel like colds plenty of water like even yeah. as shocking as that is i know that like uh
0: <laughs>
1: even if there are cases where maybe it is some program that's monitoring prions but like the ones that aren't what is that like what does that right. mean and that's something that they talked about in secret machines as well they talk about that in the fire within the uh novel cuz they talk about the crop circles and the cattle mutilations and they make the point that they might be similar but different reasons these things are occurring. That's one of my favorite parts of Secret Machines, is that it makes a distinction that like there could be many, many things at play right now. Yeah, it's been so... Fr- I can't imagine trying to read about this in the 60s or 70s. Like John Keel, for example, he talks about in Jadu his first book, which is kind of like a little autobiography of him. I did read that, by the way. It's, it's Nice. Good. I recommend it for everybody. That's a great first John Keel book to read is because it's like one of the first ones that he published. And he talks about like exploring all these different countries and like learning their traditions. And he said that studying what people call magic with air quotes is like, uh, he said that they would almost put you in jail for that in those years. And the the fact that we're able to talk about that he's passed away now, unfortunately, but like the fact that we're able to talk about these types of ideas is like pretty cool to me. That Like, it, like people talk about this type of stuff very comfortably. Like, a little too comfortably, if you know what I mean. Like, people are like, I'm going to channel the Pleiades in this Twitter space. And you're like, oh, okay. Maybe
0: I'm doing that after this. <laughs> after an hour.
1: <laughs> like, I'm not making a dig. Maybe a little bit of a dig. Because, like, I'm not a big channeler guy. I don't think that, like, that's a, uh, I, I don't know. That's a whole other debate.
0: Well, I guess my point of bringing this up is that if the government has indeed used the UFO phenomenon or the cattle mutilation phenomenon or the abduction phenomenon as cover for other heinous things that they have themselves partaken in, that's a whole other level, a whole layer of disclosure that's just going to be another clusterfuck.
1: Yeah, it would. The, the problem I have with saying it could be the government, though, is like, the MK Ultra stuff was stopped, I thought, with the church committee. Not according and, to Jacques Vallée. <laughs> well, I mean, like, maybe, so maybe the CIA stopped whatever everything. Because that's the thing, is, like, I like guys like Kit Green and Jim Semivan, and they appear to make it pretty clear that, like they don't do that type of stuff anymore in the CIA. So like, I don't want to be like, I don't want to be saying like, Oh, I think it's them secret. You know what I'm saying? I feel like maybe it moved to, to some other group. And now the CIA is getting pointed at and they're like, guys, we
0: don't do that. But like, that's, that's, (laughs) that's the perfect cover. You know? Yeah. That, that is what, yeah. I hate the fucking term, the deep state, but like, it's so, it drives me nuts, but like it, it's very clear if you at least listen to Sheehan, you listen to Valet, you listen to all these guys, you listen to fucking Joseph Farrell, there is a faction of our intelligence apparatus that has been underground since before World War II that is still calling the shots on a lot of this stuff. It, like, this shit was not ripped out at the roots. Like Like, according to that book I talk about all the time, Gold Warriors, like, the fucking church committee did not, fucking rip this out at the roots. They they just went underground. They went private. And that's what we're dealing with today is the private industry, is private military intelligence firms. This idea that that shit magically just disappeared and now everything's better, you know, maybe on the surface, maybe on certain levels of, of compartmentalization, that seems to be the case enough so that there can be plausible deniability. But like, The people who are in these covert compartmentalized programs want you to think that it's the whole CIA that's guilty of this, because then they're not the ones getting looked at. The whole CIA is getting looked at. And they can hide in their little corner and keep doing whatever the fuck they want to do and uh, not have to face consequences for this stuff. That's who Sheehan is saying is going after, you know, Congress and who is making these threats. And if you believe Sheehan, which which I do because he he's the one who tells this story in a way that like no one else does. And I think in a way that has to be told because it's ugly as fuck and it's going to hurt America once it comes out, if it comes out. And that's, that's a really going to be a really hard thing for people to process. And it's, but this is why Elizondo says, you know, it's the fucking rotten vegetables in the fridge. The longer you leave it in there, the worse it's going to be when you, when you fucking clean it out. So yeah, it's going to suck. But what, what's the alternative? the same thing happens where you're eroding trust in institutions where you're just hiding shit. And it's it's a lot better to come clean about this stuff, even if it is going to be a nightmare initially.
1: Didn't a lot of this start under Nixon in terms of like the idea to move this into private hands? Yeah, exactly. Um, which is... I don't know, I'm no historian, but uh I don't think Nixon is the most trustworthy <laughs> president we've had. And like that's that's one element of this that's very fascinating to me, is that they if it's in the hands of a private company, it's pretty much FOIA proof, Freedom of Information Act. Like you're not able, what's the term? Proprietary. It's considered proprietary information at that point, once a private company is in the equation. Right. And uh they even did that with remote viewing if i'm correct like they the, officially i think it was like out of the government's hands um according to documentation it was out of the government's hands in i think the mid 90s i want yeah, like to say 95 yeah sake. yeah and then you see guys like joe McMonigle, you and this is like there's documentation of this they just went to go work for saic and just provide them with certain, like they had no issue finding work because apparently they did a great job, from what I understand. Just to tie that into what we're dealing with now is uh, whether it's something like a reverse engineered uh, UFO program, crash retrieval program, if it's something like a program that was studying psychic ability or studying people in some like weird, unethical way, whatever the thing that the, they're accusing them of doing or needing to disclose how do you think that ties into this legislation currently and how it's like you know what i'm saying like right now i feel like there's legislation like if it's passed one way it's going to be like worded very weak and ambiguously to where people can just avoid having to come forward with whatever information they know and then there's another way that this legislation could be worded that I feel like Schumer today was very outspoken about was like, we need to keep the wording as strong as it is. So that way we're able to actually, you get what I'm saying? Like scratch the surface of how to pry this stuff out because it's going to need like pretty airtight wording in this legislation to make it even feasible to get closer to this information. hope I didn't butcher that.
0: No, no, that makes sense. It's the eminent domain aspect that that's the real teeth here. Okay. but I do want to read a uh, Luis Salanda tweet that just came out just now. Yeah, at uh, eight fifty two. So yeah, an hour ago, we're a little uh, behind the behind the eight ball <laughs> so we're recording. But um he says, have no fear. We already have a plan B, plan C, and so forth. We now know where the vulnerabilities of the beachhead lie and where the incoming fire is from. This is extremely important and valuable for disclosure. Definitely sounds like, um, you know, I don't know. It might be trying to, trying to keep people from being too disappointed, but it also sounds exactly like, you know, what he's been saying this whole time, which is that, you know, there's backup plans to backup plans. That's what Grush has been saying as well. And um, that goes to, I think, I think I've kind of said it before where th- this is a counterintelligence game. It's, it's fucking like 4D chess, basically, where they make a move and the other people make a move and then they know how to calibrate and, and deal with that in, in their next move, basically. So, but yeah, that's a interesting tweet from uh, Elizondo. He also tweeted,
1: working very hard behind the scenes. This isn't over yet. He's going hard right now. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> he is, dude. And that's the thing that drives me nuts about people just shitting on him constantly. It's like, first of all, he's not in the public eye. He hasn't been for like, over a year now. So like, chill out. (laughs) Second of all, we have this legislation that he very clearly assisted in writing. Um, And yeah, man, he, he's always, he's been doing this behind the scenes. It's where he's comfortable. And uh, yeah, people just need to fucking (laughs) just like back off, man. Like he's, uh, he's working on it. Well, the problem with him was he was involved in such
1: classified things, you know, like he was involved in a program that like, it sounded like the Pentagon really didn't even want to admit existed. Like they were very, I don't know. I don't want to get too like.
0: Can we just talk about how stupid this fucking tweet is real quick? Which one? The, I, I'm just a reply. to okay. one of my tweets. <laughs> I, I won't say the name, but it, it's probably just a bot. But this, this is, I see this all the time. It just says the government will do a fake UFO attack to make you rely on the government. The fucking stupidity of that thought process is, first of all, no one fucking believes in UFOs, so shut up. No one's gonna, <laughs> like, no one's gonna fucking buy it. Like, no one cares. Like, 99% of the world does not even fucking consider this a thing. So, the government using UFOs as an attack of, like, some kind of, like, fucking Independence Day fantasy bullshit is, or, like, Blue Beam. It's all the same shit. So, like, false flag UFOs, no. they don't, They don't need that. They, they got like six proxy wars going on to justify funding they don't need fucking aliens all right um and i guess i'll end it there it's sorry that should like i never i never like reply to that shit i just had to like get it out well they they accuse him of like essentially treason yeah like they they Stolen fucking Valor, right Yeah, they've
1: accused i've seen dude i've seen like the poor guy and he doesn't the problem is that I see is that he was involved in such classified projects or programs. It sounds like if he talks about the things he was involved in, in its entirety, that he would go to jail. You know, like the the former Senate majority leader, Harry Reid, like who was, what do they call it in the Senate when you're like one of the like highest intelligence, like there's certain senators that just have like. A little bit more access oh, the gang than everybody. The Gang of Eight. That's what Harry Reid was spending
0: years to get involved with. It's the heads of the intelligence committees and the ranking members, and then the the majority and minority leaders. I think for both houses of Congress. And that's what Harry Reid was in. Yeah. Well, yeah. he's he's Schumer is. Um, yeah. What Harry? He's the majority leader, which is what Harry Reid was. Yeah. Right. And even
1: Schumer sta- stated when he was coming forward supporting this legislation, which kind of came out of left field to me. I hadn't oh, known totally. Chuck Schumer as to be that like that guy. And he was like, yeah, this is for my friend Harry Reid, who was very uh, passionate about this subject, are listening closely and trying their best to like serve their constituents well, in this area, at the very least, if they can't pull through in other areas, like maybe they can at least work
0: together on this. All right, man. Uh, yeah, I think we're good today. Uh, you have anything you wanted to talk about or plug or anything?
1: It wasn't as much about me. It was just something that I felt like was. Uh, yeah, good. Uh, How Put Off recommended a book, and I was watching an old video of How Put Off, and it was just kind of random but he recommended a book and I wanted to mention it on the podcast. Cause I think that it's a pretty interesting book and it was called unconventional flying objects by a guy named Paul Hill. Are you familiar with this? I've heard of it. I haven't read it, but I will now. Yeah. Un- unconventional flying objects. Let I'll me double check. check. I want to <laughs> double check to make sure that's what it's called. Cause
0: I can't. Sounds right to me. Um, I don't have anything I want to plug right now. I need to write an article. It's been a minute. Yeah, I was sick for a bit, but now I'm I'm back. So, I'll have that out some point this week. Yeah, I just wanted to express appreciation for people who are signed up for our Patreon and are hanging out in the Discord. I'll uh, I'll be back in there more often now as well since I'm not feeling like shit. But um you got a confirmation on that book name
1: yes it was unconventional flying objects by paul hill and he was a chief scientist and a major oh no a chief scientist for nasa langley research center wait so yeah check that out
0: um yeah man i think we're good sweet and uh yeah we will see you next week and um yeah hopefully this uh fucking law passes but uh we will see you then thanks guys